Hello, podcast folks. Uh, this is audio from the nutrition seminar we hosted uh, at the gym the other night. Um, so, uh, just a little bit of context for that. It's basically uh, an overview of kind of what we see as, um, yeah, the optimal way that a human should eat. And I guess I said a little bit of this on that night, so I don't need to take up too much of your time, but just let you know what's coming at you. Um, yeah, these are events that we will continue to host, um, these live events, uh, to, you know, educate and, um, get people together, um, for the purpose of learning. Um, and yeah, it's something that is definitely going to become more regular. Um, we will also record all of them and post them after the fact as well, if you can't make it live, but, uh, yeah, this is something that you would be interested in be on the lookout for more events like this. Um, and as well, if you're interested in coming to check out the gym or try a class or anything like that, um, let us know. Shoot us a message um, on Facebook. It's probably the easiest way to get a hold of us or comment on anything or whatever. I'm sure we'll see all of it. Um, yeah, so we're still kind of limited class schedule. Like just the classes is all we're doing right now. Not pushing anything super um, big, super public at all. But uh, if you're already connected with us you know, through this podcast or any other social stuff you're following with us. Um, yeah. And if you're interested in coming to work out, we're running, um, multiple classes every day and we would love for you to join us. So, uh, with that, I'll let you get into this nice little, uh, nutritional overview. Cool. Yeah. Stick in your pocket. I'll, I can clip it on your shirt here. Cool. All right, we will go ahead and get started. Oh, nine minutes tardy here. Sorry, we uh, res we respect the uh, tardy folks, I suppose. Maybe a little too much. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, actually, uh, I won't. Uh, never mind. I was going to congratulate these guys on they were late because they were just a little sore because they came in for the first workout this morning. So we'll, we'll blame it on that. Uh, so, uh, I recognize some of you, I don't recognize a lot of you. So I'll just introduce myself quick. Cause you probably know Alex. Uh, my name is Jarek Bakken. Um, I'm kind of like more of the operator here at the gym. Um, I am a CrossFit level one trainer. Um, and I am running the majority of our classes right now. Um, I've been doing this stuff for the past three years or so. Um, I personally have gone through a pretty uh, life altering change when it comes to my health. Um, that has kind of been brought me into a position where um, I really wanted to kind of share what I have learned that has benefited myself um, and kind of move that forward and pass that along um, as well as I could. So I've kind of teamed up with this guy who's uh, much smarter than I am. So he's going to do most of the talking tonight. Um, but after he wraps up, I'll kind of come back up with some questions and whatnot. But um, Alex is going to give a big kind of general overview of basically what we believe um, to be kind of the optimal human diet, kind of what humans should eat to be able to survive and to thrive and live optimally. Um, and so we'll kind of give a 
big picture and then we'll open up the floor for some questions for it to get a little more in detail um, for you to ask maybe some specific things for maybe your particular situation and we can get a little bit more practical um, with that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, Alex will take it away here. Put down your collar. Go ahead. There. All right, so this I uh, can assure you will be the first time I've ever done a talk semi-outdoors. This is kind of weird. Hopefully there's no wild animals coming in to join us tonight. But yeah, Jarek kind of talked a little bit about it, but um, what, let me just kind of give you a, a quick little piece of our vision, what we're trying to do here at New City Fitness. So what we're trying to do is create a community of people that don't just come together and work out together and, and get fit, that's a, a piece of what we're trying to do, but bigger than that, we want to create a community of people that are coming together and they're on the same journey. They're trying to push back the, the darkness of sickness and suffering, disease, and they want to reach optimal health. And we know that that is going to happen. They're going to be more successful at that if they can be in a community with pe other people that are trying to do the same exact thing. So that's really what we're trying to do here um, with this particular gym. So workshops like this hopefully are going to be frequently happening. This is the first of, of many is our hope so that we can educate people um, on what we believe that lifestyle actually is. Because optimal health that he mentioned doesn't just happen to people, does it? It's something that we actually have to earn in a way. We have to do something on a daily basis, weekly basis, all the way up to year, lifelong basis of making good choices for our health. So a big piece of those choices are what we're putting in our mouth, of course, from a, from a nutritional perspective. So that's where we're going to go tonight. That's a big piece of that. So that's why we wanted to start here with nutrition. So what I wanted to start with and kind of my first fail of this presentation is I forgot a clicker. So I'm going to have to do this on the computer. I wanted to start with what most people actually know about nutrition. When I talk to people about nutrition, most of the time people are thinking about nutrition in the context of trying to lose weight. That's really the only time most people care about nutrition, right, is when they actually think I am a little heavier than I would like to be, therefore I want to lose weight, so now I better think about what I'm putting in my body. One of the most common things that I get when I'm going through goals with people when it comes to their health is they say, well, I need to start watching what I eat, right? That's a, that's a common thing, which is, that's a good thing. That's a good start, actually paying attention to what you, what you eat. But we want to look at nutrition, um, I guess, on a, on a bigger perspective than it's just What's going what's gonna to allow me to lose weight? If you can understand nutrition, you can know that it actually relates to much more than how, how heavy somebody is. It relates to how well your brain functions. It relates to how strong your immune system is, how well your body can detox, whether your joints hurt or not, right? How you perform in this particular place. All of these things then translate to how healthy am I going to actually be? Am I going to end up sick, suffering, dying early, like unfortunately many Americans are doing now, or am I going to reach this again, optimum health potential that we're, that we're talking about? So when we think about nutrition from kind of a weight loss perspective, of course what most people do is diet. And millions of people do this every single year. We obviously spend millions and millions of di dollars on diet. And I wish I could say that most people are successful. Um, and that would not be true. What it says there is nearly 90 to 9% of people who actually are successful at losing weight is within one to five years they end up gaining all of that weight back and many times they gain even more weight back than um, where they were at before they, they started the diet. 
a big piece of this is, again, just a misunderstanding, or I guess a lack of understanding of what we should be doing nutritionally. So that's kind of where we want to go, and we want to do that not to just, again, look good and not just to be a little bit lighter than we are currently. We want to do that so that we can not, really not be a statistic, right? So these are the statistics that are happening right now when, when we look at the, the sad reality there, so the standard American diet and where it's got us. 35% of people are obese. Almost 70% of people are overweight, and these are actually old statistics, so it might even be worse than this is now. And again, this isn't just about how we look or the shape of our body. Those things lead to worse things down the road. Being obese increases your chance of heart disease, stroke, diabetes, cancer. All these leading causes of death can be directly related to whether or not we're overweight or obese. And, and you definitely don't have to be obese in this case. It, it's, statistics have shown that just a 22-pound weight gain, so basically being 22 pounds heavier than what you should actually be according to your height, increases your heart attack risk by 75%. And just a 15-pound weight gain doubles your risk of, of type 2 diabetes. Now, this type 2 diabetes thing is, is epidemic in our country right now, and it's actually one of the craziest things in, in the world to me because as a chiropractor, I was trained really to look at the, what's the cause of somebody's particular health issue. And in the past few years, I've been getting to what's called functional medicine. And this is a kind of a new form of medicine where they're actually looking at what's the people are dealing with all these different health conditions and disease processes. And so instead of just saying, what's the symptom and how can we actually treat it is what's behind that symptom? What's underneath it? How can we address that so a person's body can not only just not have symptoms, but it can get healthy and, and, and function optimally? So when we think about something like type 2 diabetes, which again, most people with type 2 diabetes are going to die of a heart attack, we absolutely know that type 2 diabetes is caused by eating a certain way for an extended period of time. But if we look at how our healthcare system actually works, is we take a person that's in that state and saying, okay, well, that's what you did to get here. Let's actually do maybe the opposite of that, eating differently for an extended period of time so that your body can heal and get healthy we say, well, how can we actually treat the effects of you doing that for that extended period of time, right? So we go to an expert, an expert on hormones, so they actually give you some sort of a medication that can address those hormones, or they even give you synthetic hormones to try to address that hormonal issue, when again, if we look at what's the underlying cause, it all goes back to eating a certain way for an extended period of time. So to me, that's, that's absolute insanity, right? If there's, we know the cause and we're not doing anything about the cause, that's, we don't want to be part of that type of, we don't want to engage in that type of healthcare system, do we? We want to figure out, okay, what can I do to actually not just get rid of my symptom, but actually get, get healthy, reverse this sort of disease process that's happening in, in our body. So that's what we want to learn tonight, right? What do we need to understand just from a basic level? What do I need to be doing nutritionally so that I can stay far away from getting something as big as these particular disease processes? Because if, if I've dealt with enough people that are in these disease processes, they weren't completely healthy, and then one day they had heart disease, right? They weren't completely healthy, and then one day all of a sudden were, were diagnosed type 2 diabetic. This was something that they've been doing, daily choices, weekly choices, monthly, yearly choices, up until they actually were diagnosed with this disease. So we want to, again, stay far away from that by having an understanding of basic nutrition. So here's where I'm going to go. Just three basic keys. Keep it as simple as possible. What do we need to eat? When do we need to eat? And then this third piece what I'm labeling internal environment. We might not even get to, to number three, depending on how slow I actually talk here. But we're just going to dive into these things individually here. So what to eat. 
If you are a member and part of our Facebook member page, you've hopefully been watching me do these, this video series on what we're calling uh, what's our nutritional philosophy. So we have these five central tenets of our nutritional philosophy. Here's four of those tenets. The fifth one we'll actually get to when we get to when to eat. So this is a little bit of a review if you've been paying attention to those videos, um, but it's always good to review things. So the first one, this might sound obvious, but the central tenet number one is we need food in order to survive and thrive. You probably understand we need food to survive, right? There's plenty of people that have unfortunately died of starvation. They haven't had food, so they end up dying. But we actually also need food in order to survive and reach those optimal levels of health. And the reason that we need food is because nutrition, basically what nutrition is, is just the study or science of how nutrients inside of food interact with our body. So we know that we need food because within food are these nutrients that our bodies need in order to function well, function optimally. So if we're not getting these particular nutrients, then our bodies are not going to function optimally, and then we're on, the, on our road to disease processes, symptoms happening in our body. The two basic nutrients that our bodies need are called micronutrients and macronutrients. Micronutrients are, just means that we need a little bit of those compared to the macronutrients. Macronutrients means we need a lot more of those compared to the micronutrients. Now, you've probably heard of these particular names of the micro macro. At least you've probably heard that vitamins are important to be healthy. Maybe protein is important to be healthy. But some of these other things, there's a, there's a lot of confusion on what we actually need in order to eat a healthy diet. And we're going to get into a little bit of that when we get into one of our other tenets. But for now, just know that we need these micronutrients and macronutrients in our diet if we for sure want to survive, but also if we want to thrive. Central tenet number two, just continuing to go off this food thing. We need to eat real food most of the time in order to thrive. We can eat a bunch of fake food if we just want to survive, right? But we need to eat real food most of the time if we want to thrive. Now, what do I mean by real food? Well, this basically I'm comparing it to what's known as processed food. Processed food is anything that's been altered mechanically or chemically. So this is kind of the difference in eating an apple that you pick off a tree and then processing that into applesauce. Now that can be done actually pretty well, right? You can just take the apple off the tree, put it in a food processor, and you have mechanically altered that food, so it's processed, but you're, that's probably not that big of a deal. It's gonna change some things, how your body absorbs that, right? It's gonna produce different levels of stomach acid, different digestive enzymes, there's not gonna be as much fiber, all these different things are gonna be different about those particular foods, but you're going to be fine, especially if your whole diet's not made up of, of just applesauce, right? But when this becomes a problem is if it's highly processed. Now where you take that applesauce and you start adding added sugars, you start adding colorings, you start adding chemicals, you start adding preservatives, all of these things. Now we not only have mechanically altered this food by processing it, making it mushy, but we've also chemically added all of these things to make it taste different or last longer or whatever it may be. So when I say real food, I mean food that has not been highly processed, right? We want to eat most of the food that we can just find in nature. Again, pick it off a tree, pick it out of the ground, get it from an animal that in nature type of thing. And what I say most of the time is because, again, what we're trying to do is create this environment that we believe the human body is going to thrive in. And nutrition is just part of that environment, right? So if you are only thinking about always eating real food, that can stress you out, right? Most people, if they can't ever have donuts or they can't ever have pizza or they can't ever have ice cream, 
They're going to be under a lot of stress. They'll be miserable all the time, and that's also not good for your health. So we say don't have that sometimes, right? Eat an occasional donut. Eat pizza with your family sometimes. Celebrate with ice cream, but have it only a little bit of the time. Most of the time, we're staying away from that stuff, and we're actually nourishing our body with real food. Central tenet number four, and if you're wondering where number three went, that goes, we're going to get to that when we get to when to eat. Most of us need to eat food that is both animal-based as well as plant-based in order to thrive. What do we mean by this? Well, you've probably heard of vegans. Vegans are only eating plant-based food, and something that's actually very popular now is called the carnivore diet or carnivorous diet, where they're only eating animal products, specifically meat. So we would say you don't need to be on either of those extremes. And actually, in order to most people, for them to thrive, you want to be eating both plant foods and animal foods as well. So when we, when we think about what we're, what we're putting in our diet on a daily basis, we don't have to, again, worry about, well, I'm eating too much of this particular animal food, so I should cut back on some animal foods. We also don't need to say, well, I'm eating too many plant foods. Most of us don't need to say, I'm eating too many plant foods to cut back on that. As long as we're getting foods from both of these particular categories, we're going to be able to thrive. Reason being is because both of these foods are high in those macronutrients and micronutrients if they are real foods. We can get our micronutrient content that's required and our macronutrient content that's required from both plant-based foods as well as animal-based foods. If somebody is eating totally vegan or totally vegetarian, can that person thrive? There's some people that, yes, they can thrive. But I would say those particular people also would thrive if they had animal products in their diet. If they don't want to, basically, for some moral reason, they don't think it's right to kill animals, that's perfectly fine. If they can do it the right way, they probably can do pretty well. They can, again, reach that optimal health from a nutritional perspective. But I would also say that that's not necessary to do that sort of thing. So we can have both of these foods, animal-based foods and plant-based foods. So I'm just going to give you a quick list here. Hopefully you guys, I was thinking that was going to be bigger than that. Can you see that? Okay. So these are kind of a list of animal-based foods that we believe you should be putting in your diet. And I would say it would be good to getting, be getting these things on a weekly basis from this entire list. Now, I think most people probably know you should be eating meat. This is beef, lamb, bison, pork, poultry, all those things. Um, fish, a lot of people know that fish is healthy, so at least get fish in your diet sometime throughout the week. Um, eggs, one of the healthiest foods on the planet, getting eggs in your diet. Um, and then dairy, some people, if you do well with dairy, you can have this on a weekly basis. But a couple things that a lot of people don't know about that are actually some of the most nutritious things that we can put in our body is I'll start with bone broth, because that's the one at least probably won't weird people out. But bone broth is we can make bone broth um, on our own, or a lot of people, because of how popular it's gotten, you, there's, you can just go to the store and buy organic bone broth from, um, made from, from whole animals. The reason we, we, this is something that we should be getting in our diet is because people that were much healthier than we are throughout history have not just ate muscle meat. What they've done is they've eaten the whole animal. And where some people are not going to eat the skin of animals, or they're not going to eat the feet, they're not going to eat the bones of animals, you can get a lot of the nutrients that are inside these particular parts of foods by cooking them at high eats within water, and it makes it into a bone broth. So some specific nutrients that you're not going to get 
in high amounts through plant-based foods or through muscle meats would be collagen. If you've ever heard of that, it's a form of protein that's great for our joints, for our skin. And then some uh, amino acids like proline and glycine, glutamine. These are all things that are necessary for our bodies, again, to reach optimal health. We're not going to get these things in high amounts if we're not eating things like bone broth. And then the next one, everybody's favorite, organ meats. Can I ask, by show of hands, who's eaten organ meats before in their life? Is there anybody here that likes them? Yes. I love it. So what do I mean by organ meats? This would be liver, probably the healthiest and the most popular. So people probably have eaten liver and onions at some point in their life, maybe. Um, but this would be kidneys. Uh, this would be heart. Heart's more of a muscle as, as, a, as, a, as a visceral organ. Um, tongue also, but tongue's also similar. It's muscular and tissue as opposed to something like liver. Uh, Jared ate brain the other day, right? So these are, again, we are all weirded out by this stuff. But if you look at cultures outside of America, more prim primitive cultures, primal cultures, even the kids fight over the organ meats. They throw the muscle meats to the dogs and they eat the organ meats. Why? Because they, unlike Americans, are not necessarily eating for taste, right? They do enjoy the taste of it because they've eaten it so much but they're eating because they want to nourish their bodies, right? In order for them to survive and thrive and last long and continue on with their civilization, they know that they have to be healthy and vibrant and that requires nutrients, specifically micronutrients. And there's no other food on the planet that's higher in micronutrients than these organ meats. So if you look at this animal product list, there's also some things in parentheses that are important to talk about. Yes, you could just go to the butcher or you know, Hy-Vee, whatever grocery store you stop at and just get a pound of meat right? But more than likely that meat, we're just talking about beef, has come from a cow who has been vaccinated. So it has a bunch of chemicals there. It's been given hormones to make itself fatter. And it's been given antibiotics because it doesn't move and it gets sick. So in order to keep that cow alive, we have to treat the bacteria and stuff that it gets infected with. So just those string alone, you're getting a lot of chemicals there. But then instead of allowing that cow to eat the grass and other green things like it's supposed to and wants to, it's fed grains, most of the time cor corn and soybeans, which have another, a bunch of other chemicals. They say that it takes eight pounds of chemically sprayed grain to make one pound of beef. So when you're eating, again, a cow that's not necessarily like it says here, organic pasture-raised or wild meats, you are getting a lot more toxicity in your body and a lot less nutrition compared to if you're going to eat an animal the way that it was actually raised. So that's why we say organic pasture-raised or, or wild meats but again, if this is something that you are not able to do and you still want to move to a more healthy diet, you're still going to be better off staying away from highly processed foods and eating something like a meat is going to be much better for you there. Dairy, just the other thing that I'll, or I guess I should talk about fish. Wild caught is what you want to do there, not farm raised. Farm raised is kind of everything I just talked about with a conventionally raised cow. Same things happen with fish. Even some worse stuff happens with fish, but I won't talk about that. Eggs. Uh, you want, again, organic pasture-raised chickens that are, that are um, producing those eggs. Um, and then milk. Uh, in addition to all of that, organic pasture-raised, you also want to drink your milk or have your milk products in its most natural state, in its least processed state, right? So what do they do processing dairy products? Typically homogenize milk. If you've ever had milk from, right from a cow, um, it's, it's not combined. So you'll see the fat top and then the milk's at the bottom. 
right? What they do with homogenization is they mix all that together and they're blending the proteins, they're blending the fats, they're making them smaller. It's just not how your body was, was intended to absorb this particular thing, so that can cause some problems. And then they highly heat it up with pasteurization to try to kill the bacteria, which it does that, but then it also kills good bacteria that might be in that milk, but then it also destroys a lot of the nutrient content that's found in that milk. And then lastly, what they do is they pull out the fat from that milk and have you drink skim milk or 1% or, or those type of things. And then now again, it's been taken away from the, the state that our bodies have been drinking it or eating it for thousands and thousands of years. So our bodies are just not doing well with it. That's why so many people have sensitivities to dairy. It's not the actual dairy product. It's what man is doing dairy products over an extended period of time that's made it so difficult for us to actually be able to take in this stuff. So if you're going to do that, things like milk, cheese, kefir, all those things, try to get it in its most natural unaltered state as possible. <clears throat> Plant-based list. This is a, a, a long list. So we're not going to go through everything on this list, but what I want you to see here is there's, this is something that when you look at the plant foods that you're going to take in your body, this is kind of trial and error for everybody. I can't say, hey, you need to be eating kale, you need to be eating spinach and peppers or whatever. I can't give people an exact list. You want to be trialing erring when it comes to plant-based foods. And there's three things I would say to think about. The first thing is which ones do you like, right? You don't have to eat broccoli if you hate it, right? You don't have to eat kale if you don't like it. There's plenty of plant-based foods that are high in micronutrients, can give you the nutrition that your body needs, if, that, that you can find something that you actually like. So find something you like, prepare it in a certain way that you like it, and continue eating that particular food. I would prefer if you stuck with the top two things if you're going to limit the amount of plant foods that you're eating. This would be what are called fatty fruits. These are like avocados and olives coconut, those type of things, and you'll see why when we get to our next tenant. And then green leafy vegetables. These are your spinach and your chards and romaine lettuce, these type of things. Reason being is because they're the most nutrient-dense foods for, as far as a plant perspective that we can find. But everything else on this list is fine also. The second thing that you want to think about is what are you sensitive to? Meaning that what does your body not do well with if you put this particular food in it? Do you get, do you have allergy issues from it? Do you, does it create a lot of mucus in your body? Does it create bloating, other digestive type issues? Does it make your joints swell up? Some of that's difficult to discern, but we can figure that out over time. But some people do very poorly with um, all plant foods, which is why a lot of people went to this carnivorous diet and have seen a lot of success. Other people do have issues with what are called FODMAP foods, which are fermentable fibers. So just the fiber in these particular plant foods irritate the gut lining. Um, and then we all probably know things like gluten, that, that sort of issues that, that people have. These are things that can happen in plants. And the reason that they happen is because what has happened over time is plants, they've created these what are called anti-nutrients. So we talked about nutrients that our bodies need. Well, there's also things in plants that are called anti-nutrients. And what they do is they irritate our body or they bind to the nutrition that we want to take in from those plants. And they don't allow our bodies to, to take that in. So gluten would be one of those particular things. Another thing is something called lectins, if you've ever heard of that. Highly inflammatory for a lot of people, especially if your gut is very unhealthy. You want to be paying attention to these sort of things. And then the third thing I would, I would say is if weight loss is a concern, you want to be paying attention to what plant foods you're actually eating. If weight loss is a concern, you want to be sticking to the two at the top for sure, and then you want to try to limit or minimize the two at the bottom on this particular list. So things that are higher in starch or higher in sugar, like carrots, and beets, um, potatoes, different things like that. And this from this next list, um, these would be like beans, lentils. You want to be limiting these things because of their carbohydrate um, 
the amount of carbohydrates that are in them, and then high sugar fruits. These are also something you want to avoid completely or minimize as much as you can if you are wanting to lose weight. And then I would say grains as well. Due to the amount of carbohydrates that are in these particular foods compared to the amount of protein or fat that's in these foods, as well as um, they could be inflammatory for you. So if you're trying to lose weight, you want to stay completely away from, from inflammation. But that would be, again, the list that I would give you as far as plant-based foods. Before I move on to this next thing, I, and again, we're going to take questions, and there are no dumb questions, so if you have it, please ask it at the end. But typically, when I go through food lists with people and I kind of say, here's what's healthy, here's what humans should be eating, I always get somebody who their favorite food is not on that list, so they're always like, well, what about cereal? Or what about oatmeal? Can I have these particular things? Most of the time, if it's not on the list and I haven't mentioned it, the answer is typically no, you can't have these type of things, but there might be some things that I have mentioned, so please, again, at the end, ask those questions if you have something specific. Last of the tenets that's related to what to eat. Most of us need to eat a higher fat, moderate protein, lower carbohydrate diet in order to thrive. Now, we could make an argument with this based off of, again, the people throughout history that we look at that are much healthier than we are. This is um, the kind of macronutrient ratios that they ate um, throughout, throughout history. But we could also look at the people that are the healthiest metabolically now. What I mean by that is their metabolism is working better than, than other people and keeping their weight at the level that they, they want to keep it at, as well as being able to prevent metabolic disease, meaning things like high blood pressure, high blood sugar, high cholesterol, um, and then things that lead to heart disease, diabetes, stroke, those, those type of things. Those people that end up there are metabolically unhealthy. Well, the people that are the most metabolically healthy are the people that we see eating a high-fat, moderate-protein, low-carbohydrate diet. That's completely different than what most Americans are actually eating. Most Americans are eating the one on the right here. This is the kind of the American daily intake for somebody who would eat a 2,000-calorie diet. Their amount of protein that they're eating is equal in grams to the amount of fat that they're eating, which that's actually a good thing. That's what we want to really stick to around that. On this list, they have 80 grams of protein, 80 grams of fat, and then they have 266 grams of carbohydrate, with about a third of those carbohydrates that they're taking in being carbohydrates that come from not broccoli, not kale, not you know, some sort of healthy grain. It's from sugar. That's the standard American diet that people are eating. That's even worse than this one that's on the left, which is a low-protein, moderate-fat, high-carbohydrate diet. And what this thing on the left is called obesogenic rodent chow. What that means is when I'm going to study something, and I'm going to use rats or mice, if within that study I need those mice to be obese before I study them, let's say I'm want to look at how exercise affects weight loss. I have to get that rodent very obese before I do that. Well, they know every time, as long as they feed them this obesogenic rodent chow, it's, they're going to get obese. The reason that's the case is because they're eating low-protein, moderate-fat, high-carbohydrate diet. So this kind of tenet that we have here, it's somewhat of a response to what most Americans already do. Right? We kind of have to do the opposite of what most Americans are actually doing. And what most Americans have been doing really since the 70s when the whole low-fat craze happened 
is they've been going down, they've been, been eating very low fat to no fat, they've been lowering their amount of meat and butter and all these things that are higher in fat, and they've been eating 69,000 servings of grains and fruits and vegetables and all the things that people know as, as healthy, right? All carbohydrates, those things at the end, right? If you look at our food pyramid, mostly carbohydrate in nature, right? We maybe eat a little bit of fat, we maybe eat a little bit of meat on the side of these things, but what it's done is got us to where now we're the sickest country that's ever existed on this planet. And a lot of it's due to what we're putting in our body. So what we would say from a percentage perspective is how do you get to higher fat is you go anywhere from 50 to 80% fat in your diet, 20 to 30% protein, zero to 30% carbohydrate. Now we're not saying to know exactly what percentage of these particular macronutrients you're taking in, but if you've never looked at that, that's some good data to take in, to actually look at, okay, what did I eat yesterday and see how much protein did I actually bring into my body? How much fat? And the surprising thing will be how much sugar have you actually brought into your body? Because that, again, when I ask, talk to people about nutrition in my office, that's one of the big things that they, they say is, well, I don't eat that much sugar, right? And what they're thinking is I don't pour sugar in my coffee or I don't put sugar on my cereal, but they're not actually looking at how much sugar is in all the processed food that they're eating, but also how much sugar is in the, all the grains that they're eating, all the, the high sugar fruits that they're eating, all the beans and stuff that they're eating. Even if they think, again, that they're eating healthy, their carbohydrate level is going to be very high. So most people, again, some people can thrive on a higher carbohydrate diet. A lot of this depends on how healthy you are to begin with, right? If somebody is very sick, then they're not going to do well on a high carbohydrate diet. And we won't get into why... That is um, tonight. We don't have time for that. If you have a question on that, I'd be happy to answer that. But this is what most people are thriving at. And this is what I see when people are very unhealthy, overweight, and want to lose weight. How do we get them to a better state as far as weight and health is they are on this high-fat, moderate-protein, low-carbohydrate diet. If you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say carbs, proteins, and fats, here's a list. Carbohydrate foods would be, of course, refined sugars. You know, anything you look at a label in a processed bag or box or jar of food, can of food, and it has sugar in it, that is a carbohydrate. Grains, fruits, starches, beans, legumes, all these things are high in carbohydrates. Protein, um, animal protein, we've already talked about these. Meat, eggs, dairy, organ meats are, are high in animal protein. And then there are some vegetables that have protein in them. This would be soy, peas, nuts, and beans. Uh, I don't recommend getting, if you're saying I need to get high levels of protein in my diet because I'm not getting very much, I would recommend going for the animal products and not going for the plant-based products. Um, but if you are going to get them from plant-based products, then I would definitely avoid soy. You don't want to go for that for a number of different reasons. Most soy is genetically modified, highly processed, and it doesn't actually even get absorbed very well. So the amount of negative effects that you're going to have by eating soy far outweigh the positive effects that you would eat soy. That's why you, you can eat ribeyes, eat steaks, different things like that, instead of edamame. You guys ever had edamame? Yeah? I wouldn't eat too much of it, let's put it that way. Fat, animal fats. Again, back to the meat, There's, you wanna eat fatty meats, right? This is how do we, one of the ways how we get to high fat diet is we don't eat just boneless, skinless chicken breast, which is pretty much all protein. We actually have the skin on it. We eat the, the more fattier cuts of, of the chicken and the other, and then even just the fat, cooking with this um, sort of stuff to get it absorbed into our 
foods, things like lard, which is pig fat, tallow, is beef fat, other forms of fat like that. And then plant fats, these are the things we talked about, the high sugar or the high fat fruits, coconut, palm, avocados, olives. These are the things that you want to be doing to get your fat intake. What is palm? It's a fruit, it, kind of an exotic fruit similar to coconut. Yep, high saturated fat. You're mostly going to get it in oil, palm oil is where you want to get that from. All right, topic number two, point number two here when to actually eat. So now that we've went through what to actually eat, and you guys have memorized everything that I've said, we can move on to when to actually eat. So I've broken this down into three subpoints. The first one being frequency. What I mean by that is how often are you eating throughout the day? Again, looking at people that are much healthier than we are. They eat far less, not only in caloric intake throughout the day, but also frequency throughout the day. They ate less than we actually do now. Studies show that most Americans eat anywhere from six to 10 times per day right now. And that's not, again, you're not eating 10 meals, heavy meals, right? But that's eating really throughout the day. You're snacking all the time. They call it grazing, right? There's always something near you that you're eating. So you are eating the big meals, maybe three or four of those, but then you're also eating very small snacks throughout the day as well. A few different reasons why that's the case. I think we've been trained from childhood that snacks are good. You know, my kids are always asking for snacks, so I think we've been kind of trained that way, saying, yeah, snacks are okay. Um, maybe some of you experienced, though, when you asked for snacks, your mom probably said, no, it will ruin your dinner if you do that, right? So they didn't give you snacks, and everybody survived. We're, we're still alive. You know, civilization's still going, even though we didn't eat snacks. And then the other thing is we're always on the go, right? We never kind of just sit and relax and have a meal. So we have to grab something, and we don't grab something that's nutritious enough and, and high enough in calories that we're, we're going to need something very soon after that particular meal. So we're always eating throughout the day. And then the last one I would say is kind of the, the, the craziest is we've even been taught that this is healthy for us. We've been taught from a weight loss perspective that eat multiple times a day, six times a day is typically what they say, um, to stimulate your metabolism. That's how you're actually going to lose weight. That's not something you want to do. That's actually very dumb to do. The only reason that you would stimulate your metabolism when you're bringing in food is because that's why your metabolism has to go up because you just brought something into it. But if you're not eating food, your metabolism doesn't completely shut off. It's still going. But if you're not bringing in more nutrients, then what the body has to do is because it has to keep your brain running and has to keep digesting things you ate earlier, has to keep your heart pumping, has to keep your liver detoxifying, it needs energy to do that, so what it does is it accesses the nutrients that are already stored on your body, whether that's glycogen or the amount of sugar that you have stored on your body, or the amount of fat that we have stored on your body. And if you want to be healthy metabolically, again, and lose weight, then you want to be able to access those nutrients that are already stored on your body through normal metabolism. So you don't want to rev up your metabolism. That only happens when you bring food into your body. So eating the six times a day thing was very bad advice. The other reason it was bad advice is because if you don't give brain your meals, like we'll get into in a second, then you stimulate a hormone called insulin that makes it pretty much impossible for you to ever access the fat stores that you have on your body. And the reason, one of the reasons they told you to do this is because so many people have blood sugar issues. So if your blood sugar goes up, it spikes, then a lot of times what happens is you react and it goes very low. 
So you have these high blood sugar, and then you have these very low blood sugar, high blood sugar, very low blood sugar. And they know that's related to disease processes. You will get very sick eventually if you have this kind of erratic blood sugars. So they said, well, eat six times a day to keep your blood sugar more normal. But what that actually, the whole reason that that was happening is because if you ate six times a day, insulin was always turned on. So if insulin's always on, then yes, your blood sugar is going to come down. But all of these disease processes that we're finding were not like heart disease, diabetes, and even some cancers are not necessarily related to what your blood sugar was. It's related to how high your insulin levels are. So they thought they were doing a good thing by keeping your blood sugar balanced, but you were, what you were doing is kind of, what do they call that, robbing Peter to pay Paul. You were keeping your blood sugar low, but your insulin levels were high to be able to get that blood sugar low, which now is making disease processes even worse and happening even sooner in people's bodies. So you don't want to be stimulating metabolism. You also don't want to be stimulating insulin throughout the day. So ideally, one to three times per day. Why do I say one to three times per day? Well, some people do very well with just eating once a day. They can get the amount of calories that they need. Their body is able to digest those amount of calories fine, um, and it just kind of works well with their schedule. They do fine with working throughout the day and not eating, and then eating all their, their calories and getting all their micronutrient content one time. Other people can do fine with three times. Can there be people that eat more often than this and be fine? Yes, there's some people that can eat, again, four times a day, or they can eat three meals, snack, maybe grab a snack or so. Somebody, that people that are, again, pretty competitive in here, or you know, Olympic athletes, people that are using their, a lot of energy every single day, those are people that can eat more often. But in order to just stay healthy metabolically, one to three times a day is where you wanna be at. The next thing that I would say is timing, and this is highly dependent on your frequency, right? So easy kind of breakdown here. If you are one that eats three times per day, then I would break that up into morning, midday, and evening. The important thing to understand here is most people have heard that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. How many of you guys have heard that breakfast is the most important meal of the day, right? Now there is some truth to that, but what that doesn't mean is as soon as you wake up in the morning, you don't have to eat breakfast, right? Breakfast, all that means is you have bro broken your fast. So you fasted throughout the night when you slept, and then now when you eat, you've broken that fast. Well, that doesn't mean that you have to, that fast only has to be however long you slept. That fast can extend out further than that. Yes, you want to break it eventually because, again, we need food. Back to central tenant number one, we have to have food in order to survive and thrive. But it doesn't have to be right away when we actually wake up. So, yes, eat sometime in the morning, eat sometime in the midday, eat sometime in the evening, but it doesn't have to be right away. The other thing we want to look at is on the other end, right? We don't want to eat too close to when we are about to go to sleep. Because this environment that we want to be, have good sleep deep levels of sleep if we want to be healthy. If you eat too close to when you actually go to sleep, your heart rate never goes down because you're always metabolizing the food that you just ate, and therefore you will never get into these deep levels of REM sleep or even deeper levels of sleep than that. So trying to go at least an hour, most people even two hours before you are going to bed. If you're a two times a day guy, morning, midday, midday, evening, the reason I don't say morning and evening is because what you're doing there is kind of breaking up those extended periods of fasting, right? If I eat in the morning and then midday, well now if I'm done eating at say three o'clock, now I can go all the way till whatever, 10, 11 a.m. the next day with a, a long time where my metabolism isn't being revved up and my insulin levels are not being spiked. That's a lot healthier than, again, eat, revving it up or increasing insulin throughout. Of course, if you're only eating once, whenever you want to eat is fine. 
Last part of this when to eat is this kind of feasting versus fasting balance. Basically what we've already been talking about. We need times of feasting. We talked about that. But we, just as important as we need times of not eating, not putting nutrients in our body, so that we can either access the nutrients that are already stored on our body, or we can give our digestive system a rest, or our bodies can actually adapt to the stress of not eating and just become overall healthier in general. What happens is when we don't have um, a lot of the, the nutrients that we're putting on a daily basis, if we have extended times of that, then our bodies go and try to find nutrients in, in so like be in our body or damaged or, or organs, things are inside of our cells, and it'll use those for energies or it'll clean that up. It's called autophagy. If you've ever heard of this term before, it's a kind of a new thing that people are starting to study. We want that happening in our body, and it can't ever happen if we don't have these extended periods of, of not actually putting nutrients in our body. So three to four hours between meals for sure, but we also need times anywhere from 12 hours to 20 hours in a 24-hour period between our feasts. And then occasionally we need to do anywhere from 24 to 168 hours of not feasting. If you can do math, that's a long time, right? I think there's only one person in this room that's maybe done that. Has anybody done a seven-day fast? Jarek's done a seven-day fast. What he did is went seven days with just water and sea salt, and he's still alive. Unbelievable. But why this is important, again, is for that autophagy thing I just talked about. Um, they're starting to see the people that have lived the longest and people that kind of extend out the time of when they succumb to something like a heart disease or a cancer have these times where they're giving their body a long break of not taking in the nutrient. We can overnourish our bodies in a sense from, from this perspective. So if that's crazy to you, then I would say start with the three meals a day thing, right? And then maybe sometimes go only two meals a day. Or maybe sometimes go, instead of having a 12-hour break between your meals, go out to a 16-hour break between your meals. Right? Go out to a 20-hour break. Up until the point, as you get your body trained to do that, now we can have these times where we're going more extended fasts. What time we got? We still good? I know, but I don't remember when I started. I don't remember if I've been talking forever. I'll go through this really quickly. So you probably maybe have been to nutrition talks before or at least read some stuff on nutrition. A lot of what I just talked about could have been something that you've heard in the past because um, anytime you go and listen to or read about nutrition, you're going to hear about what you're supposed to be eating, of course. And then what we talk about tonight in addition to that is when you should be eating that stuff. But very little do you ever hear about what's happening internally in your body that's now going to receive what you're putting in your body, right? What's going to receive the kale that you're about to put in your body? What's going to receive the ribeye steak that you're about to put in your body? So I've broken this down into three little subtopics as well. The first one is called fight or flight versus rest and digest. What this is speaking about is our physiology, just kind of what's happening inside of our body internally, can really be in two states. It can be in what's called a sympathetic state, which is you could think of as a gas pedal because it speeds things up, it turns things on, or you can be in what's called a parasympathetic state. This is considered the brake pedal because it slows things down, it, it shuts things off. So if you are in a stressful environment, let's say a bear's running at you, right? Or let's say you just did a bunch of thrusters or pull-ups in this, in this gym here. 
you're in what's called a sympathetic state. You're in a fight or flight state because if a bear's coming at you, you either need to fight that bear or you need to run away from that bear, right? Your physiology has to be different if you're in that particular state than if where we're at right now, just sitting and listening to me. What happens if you're in that sympathetic state, one of the things that happens is your ability to digest food gets down-regulated, basically shuts off. Who could tell me why that would be a good thing? Why would you need to digest food if you're trying to get away from a bear? Right? You want all of your energy going to your muscles so that you can run away or you can fight that bear off. You want energy going to your brain so you can think about, what do I do to get out of this stressful environment and get into a non-stressful environment, right? Parasympathetic is known as rest or digest. So if in order for our bodies to digest the food that we just talked about putting in it, regardless if that's eating six times a day or that's eating once a day, we want to be in that rest or digest state of physiology in order to best absorb the nutrients that are in that food and in order to best detox what's bad in that food that our bodies do not need. Right? So application here. To stay out of that sympathetic state, you don't want to eat when you're angry. You don't want to eat when you're stressed out because of some sort of relationship issue that you're having. You don't want to eat on your break at work if you just got really, really mad at your boss or a coworker. You don't want to eat when you wake up in the morning and roll out of bed and then jump into your car and, and on your way to work, right? Those are all somewhat stressful environments. And even though you might be putting in good food, your body's not going to do well with that because digestion is not at its optimal state. Make sense? So I would suggest finding times where you are calm, right? Hopefully with others, right? Eating at the dinner table that just was cooked and you're kind of in a calm state and you can enjoy that, right? Maybe thinking about the food, praying before you're eating the food, eat that food, and then have some time where you're relaxing as well, right? You're not like my kids try to do every night in the middle of your last bite, getting up out of the chair to go put your plate down so that you can go play again. That's not what you want to be doing in order to have optimal digestion. Second thing, what I'm calling neurological tone. So what this is basically saying is that our nervous system, so our brain, spinal cord, and nerves, has to be at a certain tone in order to be healthy, right? So it has to fire at a certain frequency in order to be healthy. And if it's not, then whatever that nervous system is controlling is also going to be disrupted. It's also not going to be functioning at a high level. So think of it like a, a guitar. If the guitar is out of tune, it's not going to sound as well as a guitar that is in tune, right? So our nervous system kind of works the same way. If it's out of tune, then it's not going to be able to control our body, the functions that happen in our body, as well as if it was in tune, right? So if we have this kind of disrupted neurological tone, then we are not going to have this proper internal environment for digestion specifically. We're not going to be able to digest food very well. So to keep this simple, this is a shameless plug because I am a chiropractor, of course, so I look at spines for a living. If you have a bad spine, you have this kind of disrupted neurological tone, which will equal bad digestion. So again, all the way back to the beginning, even if you're eating proper food, even if you're in a peaceful state when you're eating that, even if you're not eating six times a day, but you have stress on your nervous system because you have a bad spine, you're also not going to be able to absorb that food, digest that food, to the optimal level that you want to have it. The last one is a huge topic that I wish I could dive into 
in more detail, but I'm just going to give you the basics on it. This is called your microbiome. Basically, that is kind of this um, bacteria, viruses, fungus, parasites, all these kind of what are called microbes. They live inside of us. I don't know if you knew that, right? Are there any germ freaks here? If you don't like germs, did you know that there's, they think there's about 70 trillion cells in our body? And we have 10 times this amount of bacteria in our body in just inside of our gut than we have cells. So that's 700 trillion bacteria that are in you right now. Those are also germs, right? So they kind of work synergistically with us, right? They, what's good for them is good for us. So if we have an unhealthy microbiome, then again, even if you're doing everything right, your body is not going to be able to digest, absorb, assimilate all the things that need to happen in order for us to nourish our bodies properly are not going to happen if you don't have a healthy microbiome. These, these kind of bacteria, let's just keep it simple and say, call them bacteria. What they do is they can make nutrients for our bodies. They can make B vitamins for our bodies. They can help us fight infections. So one of the reasons why people do get infections is because not necessarily did they get infected by a bunch of germs, but they didn't have enough good bacteria to fight off of whatever kind of opportunistic or bad bacteria infected them. That's why you see some people get infected with the same particular virus or bacteria, but one of them gets sick and the other one doesn't. A lot of this is because their internal environment is not, not healthy. And they also contribute to our metabolism. Did you know that they have done studies where they take a group of rats that are obese and they took a group of rats that are skinny. They've taken the poop of these obese rats and put it inside the ones that are skinny. Over time, feeding them the same diet, these rats get fat, these rats get skinny. That should blow your mind. Why would that be the case? Because these things actually determine how well our bodies absorb the calories that we're putting in. So even if you're giving these rats the same amount of calories, if this particular rat has a healthy microbiome by putting it, the, the, the poop from the healthier rat into the sick rat, now its microbiome is healthier. Well, if you give that rat the same amount of calories as the one with the sick microbiome or the unhealthy microbiome, they're going to process those calories different than if, a, if you have the unhealthy microbiome. That probably just confused everybody. All you need to worry about is this is part of our internal environment. So this is why people take probiotics. This is why you eat things like prebiotics or fibers to feed the good bacteria. Um, again, this is a, a whole big discussion that we can get into. But just know this is part of our internal environment. So regardless of what you eat, attention to some of this stuff. But this is pretty low on the list. I would say if you are pretty far away from everything I talked about, don't even worry about this sort of thing. Just start eating when you're supposed to eat. Start eating what you're supposed to eat. And that actually has a big impact on whether or not your microbiome is going to be healthy anyway. If you're still having issues having done that, then talk to us. We'll figure out how to address some of this microbiome stuff. I think that might be it. Q&A. All right. Jarek's going to come back up here so he can talk about his water fast. <laughs> Gretchen. Kids. Yeah? Growing kids, do these things of uh, how often and 
timing and stuff like that apply? Yeah, so the, I would say the timing, how, would it, how that would apply to kids is they don't need to do as much of the extended fasting. Um, so the, the research that this is coming from is if you look at it over the course of a person's life, the people that are having more times of their, where they're not always giving their, their body food, those are the people that are living longer and healthier. But that's kind of throughout life, right? It's not, they're not doing that on a daily or weekly basis throughout their life. They might have eaten a lot more when they were younger in order for growth, right? But then now when they've got to the point where their bodies have grown to the, to the point where they're going to, now they could start backing off on a lot of that nutrient intake and start extending out their fast. So kids, kids are fine with fasting, um, specifically with the no snacks type thing or limiting the amount of snacks, but they don't need to do the extended, extended fasting stuff. I don't think kids, they, they do better with carbohydrate people um, than adults because most adults have gotten to the point where they're not very healthy metabolically. So they can do more carbohydrates, but they don't necessarily require more carbohydrates in order for their, their bodies to be healthy. Basically what happens is, so you maybe have heard of what's called essential fatty acids. These are like the omega-3s and omega-6 fatty acids. The reason they're called essential is because our bodies don't make them internally, so we need them from the outside. It's essential that we get them from the outside in order for our, our bodies to use them. There's also essential amino acids, so what makes up protein. We need these things from our diet because our bodies don't necessarily make them in high amounts. There is no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. Reason being is because not that we shouldn't eat carbohydrates to give our body energy, but we can make carbohydrates out of either fat molecules or we can make it out of protein. So both of those two macronutrients can, through the body, can be processed down into where we're giving our body enough sugar or glucose is what it's called in order for us to have energy. But that can also be somewhat of an expensive process. The body doesn't necessarily like to do it. So for kids, as they're growing, you know, metabolic processes are in, happening in higher amounts than adults. Yeah, giving them some carbohydrates is fine, but they don't necessarily need it. But really, it's the same thought process as an adult. The, the kind of problem we run into is most of us as adults who have grown up with the, where we started the standard American diet, we've gotten to a point where we've eaten this way for such a long period of time, our body is not adapted to do those things that he's talking about. Yeah. So hopefully kids have less time in that environment that their body's still able to do some of these processes better and they're more receptive to they don't have to limit quite as much because we, we, we shouldn't have to have these like we, we, sh we shouldn't have to intentionally do this ketogenic diet or this you know, zero carbohydrate diet that response to where we've been at and so if we are not in that sick and disease state yet then we are probably more capable of you know digesting and processing this Who else? Protein power. Mm -hmm. In general, what are your thoughts on the weight loss? Yeah, um, protein powders can be fine. I would say, so we didn't get into supplements, um, but you want to be getting most of your macronutrients and micronutrients within the food that you're eating. Um, but if, if it's just difficult to do that, or if you, it will help you kind of stay in somewhat of a fasted state where you're not eating a heavy meal, um, specifically for giving your digestive system a break from a heavy meal, 
then that's when protein powders, I think, are fine from a weight loss perspective. People that are trying to gain weight, put on muscle, they, they can use those things to just get more protein in them. But from a weight loss perspective, or just trying to get more healthy metabolically, um, I would use those only for that particular purpose of just kind of being able to extend out a fast long, long, longer than you typically would if you weren't taking that in. Um, but you want to be trying to get your protein from animal, mainly animal sources, real food sources. Yeah, so, man, I used to have like a, like four things that were wrong with protein powders, but I don't think I remember all of them. Maybe Jared can help me. But protein powder, so pro, typically when somebody doing a protein powder, it's coming from whey protein, which is coming from dairy. So the same thing that we talked about with dairy and having it organically pasture-raised, grass-fed, all that stuff, applies to the protein powder. So with a whey protein, you want it coming from grass-fed cows, you want it coming from an organic source, you hopefully not homogenized, pasteurized, all those different things. So that's one thing. And then a lot of times what they do with protein powders is they highly process them. So they make them into what's called protein isolate. So breaking down the protein into a kind of a, a, this isolated nutrient, which is our body can take that in, but it's not as good as what's called a concentrate. So it's kind of left all the other things that come with the, the protein from the animal. And then what they do is probably the worst thing is they sweeten it with an artificial sweetener or with sugar to make it taste. This is how you get like cookies and cream protein powders, right? <laughs> S'mores protein powders. You should have chocolate maybe and vanilla and maybe something that's just easy to flavor um, because the sweeteners are going to be unhealthy for you. So things like aspartame or sucralose or all those things, those are things that are, you, want, you don't want necessarily be, be doing in high amounts. Yeah. So, but a, a perfect example from my day to day, I was, you know, here at the gym in the morning, I go to work after that, it's like two, three o'clock, I've got like a short little window where it's like, this is like my only chance to eat something today. I don't have a time to like cook a meal. I ran home, I threw some stuff in the blender, some protein powder and some other like things like that, whipped it up and like that was like the best option I had for getting in some nutrients today rather than, you know, stopping at Hardee's in between here in my house. Something that's also fast and available, but kind of the best option I had at hand was something like that, you know? And yeah, the Hardee's protein powder is not very good. <laughs> So somebody on here says that Jarek needs to talk into my chest yeah, if you're going to answer like a question. That would be weird. Um, if there, was there another one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what kind of race are you talking about? Like a, like a seven-mile race with lots of hills? <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's kind of a question that's very difficult to just give a general answer to, mainly because if somebody's going to go do that type of um, exercise, kind of extended long endurance type exercise, I would need to know whether their body uses fat for energy very well or if it primarily uses carbohydrates for energy. So if you, 
you probably know like people that run endurance races, they use like goos and stuff like that. What they're trying to do is they have used up all the sugar stores in their body. So then therefore they're trying to replenish those sugar stores in their body so that they can continue to run whatever they're doing, have energy. Where you would want to kind of the healthiest metabolically to do is use up those sugar stores somewhat throughout the race, but then be able to run that race primarily using fat for energy. And then like at the end where you have to kick in and sprint, which I know you're going to do probably up that hill and down that hill, right? You want to go back to utilizing the sugar for energy again. So without knowing kind of where you're at metabolically, maybe he knows more than me, but I would say if you are more of a, if you're not what's considered fat adapted, then having a, a, a meal that's going to restore the amount of sugar stores that you have in your body so that you're ready to use those the next day. If you are more fat adapted, then that doesn't really matter. You can, uh, you can eat whatever as far as it's, it's healthy, you know, in nature. You, you wouldn't need, I wouldn't have a beer and eat a burger before you, before you go. You know? Do you know where she's at metabolically? Uh, closely. But so the, the, the point I would want to make there is um, kind of drawing attention to this, this other variable that is exercise. Okay. So exercise is one thing that is a different variable that we throw in that can affect how we are using this energy. It's a massive variable actually. And so when we're looking at a, a highly concentrated, very intense, very long duration, you know, bout of performance that would be a seven mile race next weekend, this weekend, holy cow. Um, that is an opportunity where you are kind of putting yourself in a state where, you know, it might look like a little bit higher carbohydrate meal that night before, because you know that you're going to be exerting that energy and you're kind of preparing yourself for that. And so it doesn't mean eat that meal every night. It doesn't mean eat that meal every night before you're going to the gym. It's like, okay, I know that this is coming. Maybe I have a sweet potato with my dinner tonight, that type of thing, as opposed to that just being the regular thing you eat, but kind of paying attention to what your activity is and you know, basing what you're eating kind of in line with that. Uh, there's, sorry, yes, go for it. Water. water. Yeah, I forgot to talk about water. Um, first of all, I would say if you, when you think about what you should be putting in your body on a daily basis as far as liquid, obviously water is the, the most important thing to be putting in your body. Um, I've went kind of back and forth with water. I've, I used to be more on the side of people are highly dehydrated, so they need to drink a ton of water throughout the day. So I would say like a, just fill up a gallon jug and try to, try to hit it. Um, if you can, great. If not, you got pretty close and you're going to do better than most people do. Um, but having understood the importance of this mineral, micronutrients, um, specifically like um, sodium and chlor so sodium chloride, which is in salt and other nutrients that are found in sea salt, I think you can kind of go too far on the other end and be drinking too much water without mineral content. And when you think about dehydration, in order to be hydrated, you need water, but you also need these, what most people know as electrolytes. So if you're drinking too much water and not having these electrolytes, then you're kind of being over, somewhat overhydrated and it's not gonna be helpful for you. You're just gonna retain all that water. So generally, I would say kind of, this is, 
maybe one of the recommendations that kind of just general maybe government guidelines where they say eight cups of, of water a day is actually pretty accurate. I would say you're going to be fine if you do that. You're, you're hydrating your body well enough, um, but you're also not going to be doing it, you know, with, with going to the gallon. If you are going to do the gallon thing, like if you exercise a lot or have a, a friend who works in a very hot environment, he should be drinking that much water, but he also should be drinking things that are going to give him high levels of electrolytes so that he's not overdoing the, the water intake. One other thing I'll say about drinking, you maybe you've been told when you eat, drink water with it so that you can flush it down. That's the exact opposite of what you should be doing, actually. So when you eat food, your body breaks it down into this kind of liquid form. And it's, if it's not in its liquid form, then the body won't let it go on to the next stage of digestion because it's not, an, it's not digested well enough. So you don't want it into your small intestine if it's, it's not digested properly. Well, when you eat food and it gets into your stomach and you drink liquid, what that can kind of trick the body into saying, oh, it's liquid enough, I'll pass it on to the next stage of digestion. And now I have a bunch of undigested food particles in my small intestine, create inflammation, cause a bunch of problems. So I usually say about a half an hour before, half an hour after, try to stay away from drinking. Yeah. So I guess like a, a real practical answer to that, just what I personally do, if we're you know, doing some of the things that we talked about, pushing that first meal back a little bit, I try to drink basically as much water as I can in the morning before I ever eat anything for the day. And then I know that it really, like I know personally, it really messes with my digestion. So like after I eat, like I have to wait a extended amount of time before I drink something again. And then like after I'm done eating for the day, maybe like an hour later, then I might, you know, try to drink a bunch before I go to bed type of thing. But that's just a practical way to do it. Sure. Yeah. So, so, um, yeah. Yeah, so it's thing, things like coffee, black coffee, and a tea, great. Yeah, when we start deviating from that, um, that's, yeah, that's where, you know, yeah, you're going to run into other things that are essentially breaking that fast. Um, even some things that are, like, might say zero calories, they still have a metabolic effect. Um, so, yeah, water, coffee, tea, those are, those are safe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. So there's, there's multiple factors that, um, should be considered when you're trying to place that number one, like why you're exercising, um, kind of what you're trying to get out of it. If it's like, we're talking about longevity and we just want to find a rhythm that's going to work well for me every single day. Um, you know, that's, a different perspective than if I'm like training for some type of performance. If I'm trying to train and perform a personal best on the Bix or whatever it is, I might work out at a different time of day in a, you know, in a fed state or a fasted state, depending on that type of stuff. Um, I would say one of the, from my experience, one of the uh, most beneficial things when we're talking about um, trying to kind of push towards this, I don't know if Alex has used this term, but this metabolic flexibility to where we um, kind of learn how to burn fat for energy and burn fat for fuel. 
Um, I find that working out early in the morning in that fasted state uh, helps that significantly. Um, and then kind of carrying that out until, you know, the first meal of the day, that kind of like essentially supercharges what you're doing during that fasted time, really burning off that stored sugar, that stored glycogen, especially if you're doing high intensity stuff like we do um, here, that's only benefiting you in that fasted state. Got more to add to that? Um, I don't think so. I think, I think you're fine. You're fine working out. I don't think you need to change anything about when you're working out, if you're fasting or if you're, you're in a time where you're not fasting. Um, again, unless you are trying to perform well at some particular thing. And if you're trying to perform well at some particular thing, then I probably wouldn't recommend fasting. Um, you would just stay to your normal, you know, daily rhythms of eating three times a day or whatever that may be. Somebody back there have a... Yeah, uh, pretty much absorbability. So not only does animal protein have a better amino acid profile, meaning it has all of the amino acids that your body needs compared to a plant-based product, but then you're also, they just know that animal products get absorbed. Macronutrients as well as micronutrients get absorbed better um, in the body um, from an animal source as opposed to a, a plant source. Part of that can be individual as well. Like if you don't have the specific enzymes for um, the amino acids that are in a, a plant-based product, then you're going to have a bigger issue digesting animal products. And the same thing goes for the plants. If you have a what if there's some sort of genetic issue where you don't have the, the enzymes to digest it, then you're going to, so some, some of it's kind of trial and error as well. Some people do better with plant-based proteins as far as like a protein powder or something like that. But generally people do better with animal-based proteins because of absorbability. Yeah. Sure. He's a fat man. <laughs> so um, it, it kind of goes just in line with how we think about, you know, quality with anything. So with the animal products, for example, if it is a higher quality, product, a cleaner, you know, that's kind of a buzzword term, a cleaner product, then, you know, the fat that is in that animal is going to be healthier for you. If that cow was, you know, eating grass and living freely, not constrained into, you know, a farm with hundreds of others and like fighting for its life, it's going, you know, if the animal is healthier, what's your digesting is going to be healthier. Um, but as far as, I guess, the, one of the bigger things to look for in fat is um, when we look at oils. So uh, there are really good oils and fats for us to be using to like cook with, for example, and really, really bad oils, possibly some of the worst things we could possibly put in our body. Um, so I guess like a real quick list of that things like coconut and avocado and some of these animal fats you know butter ghee um lard like alex said tallow those are going to be really good and beneficial fats for us but things that have they essentially it's the more that they have been manipulated and like 
the more work that has had to be done to create them. So things like vegetable oils and processed seed oils, um, our bodies do not do well with those whatsoever. If there's nothing, we got something from the internet here. What do you feed your family in a normal week? You got a bigger My wife is back there. Maybe I should have her. <laughs> no, I mean, so we try to feed them from that, that list that, that we have up there. We, again, most of the time we're having them eat real food. Um, with six kids, you have more celebrations. And if you didn't have as many kids as that, so we're, we probably eat more of the, again, whether it's donuts or ice cream or having celebrations with our friends and eating things like pizza. Uh, more often than we would like, uh, more often than we would like them to eat. Um, but generally, it's, it's real food. They're eating meat and vegetables um, at, at dinner time. Sometimes they're having some rice at dinner time. Sometimes they're having sweet potatoes at dinner time. We involve squashes kind of seasonally. Um, we try to do some sort of high protein, high fat in the morning. Preferably, it would be eggs and, a, and some sort of breakfast meat. Um, my wife likes variety, so sometimes she will do some things like just a fruit smoothie or fruit and oatmeal. Um, sometimes she'll do, we'll let them eat waffles with the breakfast meat. Uh, but generally, we're trying to do very low carbohydrate and, and higher fat, moderate protein meals um, then. And then for, for lunches, um, again, it's still, we're going to have some sort of an animal product, um, whether that's meat or cheese. Um, we do do some of the... Um, the deli meats for that for lunches, or we're having a big salad. We'll have salad with meat, with uh, beef on it. We'll have salad with chicken. We'll have salad with fish. Um, that's typically so we don't. It's not like me and my wife make something for um, her and myself, and then we feed our kids something different. Um, when they're at school, that typically happens because we she prepares their lunches every day, so she doesn't prepare a lunchbox for me and have me eat it during the day. So kind of grabbing stuff typically. Um, but generally, they eat the exact same thing that we, that we eat on a weekly basis. What does your grocery expenses look like for a week if mostly organic foods? They look highly different than if you're eating non-organic foods throughout the week. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we probably spend more, more, a higher percentage of our budget is spent on our grocery bill compared to, to most people. Why? Because that's important to us. Health is obviously important to us. Um, so, and, and I teach people to be healthy. So I want to be congruent with what I'm actually teaching people. So we spend more money uh, on food. Um, and then we just figure out ways to, to limit other things in, in our budget, right? Um, I don't, we don't have a you know, $600 car payment and we don't eat uh, out to eat a ton. We don't go and get um, coffees every single day, you know, for $5 a day. So we're able to kind of minimize some of that other stuff so that we can invest more um, in, in the foods that we're eating. Because if you think about it, we talked about the importance of animal products having, you know, pasture raised, organic. You can get 12 dozen eggs, or 12 dozen eggs, a dozen eggs for 99 cents most places. And if you're getting good eggs, they're probably $5. Right? So that's a huge jump if you're eating good quality food. Again, that's what's important to us. We want to nourish our bodies. We see the important. And we could probably do some sort of um, you know, cost-benefit analysis to say if we're spending our money now, we're going to prevent 
like I just did a post if you guys follow us on Facebook, my great rear family chiropractic, um, Jen back there asked me some questions about kind of the lifestyle that we live and how it's impacted our kids. And I said, other than my oldest son Tatum, which for his first two years of his life, I've, I didn't know anything about health. So we did everything kind of by the book and took him to doctors and, and treated things with antibiotics and, and, and medications. But since that, none of my kids, all six of them have ever been to a doctor and they've never taken a medication, right? Why? is because we try to do things right with our lifestyle and we've been able to prevent a lot of that stuff from happening. Compare that to kids that, you know, have to go to the hospital because they have asthma attacks or they have to be on ADHD medication or whatever else it may be, that you're spending money somewhere if you're not spending it on your health. And if at some point, if you're not spending it on your health, you're going to spend it on your health um, in much bigger ways than, than we actually want to. So I don't know if that answered this question, but. Yeah, just, I mean, just adding another layer to that. So if we go back to the eating real food most of the time, if we're looking at, so I think what happens a lot of times is, you know, people are eating a certain way. Maybe it's, you know, they, this cereal for breakfast, they throw this like nutrition bar type of thing in their backpack on their way to school. They have this bag of chips that they snack on and then they go look at what the organic cereal costs and what the organic protein bar costs and what the, you know, the whatever other example I gave. And they're like, this is outrageous. But then we look at, okay, what does actual real food cost? And that cost is significantly less than all these. So like these, while maybe better for us processed foods, the real food alternative, you're going to be able to put together a meal of real food in a, in a pretty quality way for significantly less than putting together like all of these snacks and different things with all these you know, processed foods that are easy to go look down the grocery aisle and see this stuff. But it kind of goes back to just kind of central tenet of eating real food. Yeah. You uh, don't know if we're allowed to say I that. I have <laughs> a few patients that are farmers, so they've been able to give us small amounts of raw goat's milk, um, but we haven't. That's not a regular thing that we can get. I think there's a somebody, and I want to say Fulton, Illinois, that can get that. I could try to get that information for you, and uh, be able to find that. That's, What's that? I think this one's cow. Yep, yep. Does anybody else know that? No. Yeah, they're they're not uh doing Facebook ads to try to sell their milk. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, we wanted to end at eight o'clock, so we got one minute. If there's another question. Okay. Soybeans. Sure. Yeah, I would say it, it's not as healthy as it, it should be, um, but they're still living a wild life. So they're getting exposed to sunlight. They're still, you know, they're, they are eating other things that are not, you know, primarily soybeans. They're still exercising. They're exposed to bacteria that, other, you know, kind of um, uh, 
what do you call that feedlot type animals. So it's still to me going to be healthier than, you know, just conventionally raised beef or pork or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't make that my only, you know, the type of meat that I'm, that I'm eating. It's like, what are we comparing it to? Like, okay. Yes. To a, an optim, op, you know, a, a deer that is, you know, roaming around with nothing but the best things to eat. Fantastic. Comparing it to that. No, not as great. Comparing it to what most of us are eating, you know, something with whoever's name on the package in the frozen section, like, like, am I going to take a wild animal that maybe didn't have the most optimal life over that? Absolutely. Just don't eat it every day. Cool. All right, guys. Very good. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.